You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hello and welcome. This is Caroline Kay from carolinekay.co, hostess of the Snippets of Genius podcast, business and success coach. If you're a client, show guest, weekly listener, or a friend of mine, welcome back. If you're new to the show, it's great to have you here, and I hope that this show is exactly the insight you've been needing to move the needle on your business idea. I'm thrilled to introduce my second guest of Series 4, it's Dom Iverson, co-founder at This That, who has experienced being in one of Europe's leading accelerator programs, moving himself and his team to another country, and who now work with the biggest brands, including Uber, Meta, that's previously Facebook, PepsiCo and L'Oreal, and agencies turning over million plus deals to uncover insights from quite literally any audience. Today we learn that Don really does like to question everything, and it is this superpower that has enabled him to build a great team and business. Finding out what makes people tick over the last four years has been the secret to their success. Max and Dom's mission to make surveys fun has taken them on an exciting journey where they have experienced everything a startup has to offer. Today, we unpack the key learnings along the way and share with you how to find the people who will help you build your dream startup. I'm so excited to share this with you. Let's dive in. Now, Dom is not only an exciting entrepreneur that has dove deep into the world of tech and SaaS and built up his business, scaling up now to 20 people, which I think is just amazing, and working with some of the biggest brands out there. He's done all of this, and wait for it, at the age of 27. Now, if that doesn't make you feel like, God, what have I been doing with my life? I don't know what will. So I'm going to dive in to say hello to Dom and find out about this amazing journey he's been on. So Dom, hi and welcome to the show. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for that intro as well. I was actually thinking I feel quite old, but it's good to know that I'm still on the younger sort of level. Oh, you level. are a spring chicken, my friend, <laughs> compared to me and my friends. <laughs> oh, well, tell us a bit about your journey because... I think it's amazing. One of the things I think is really exciting is that you have took the path less traveled, taking it another step on by not just waiting until you're about 40 to get into the startup world, which is the typical age that most people do it. It's actually going, you know, done university. I'm just going to jump in. So tell us, how did you get to where you are today? It was really interesting, actually. So I don't think I could be a founder at 40. There's been so many things across the journey that have made me think, thank God I haven't got kids. Thank God. Uh, I don't have a mortgage, all these sorts of things. I think that sort of highlights the roller coaster ride that it is. I think for me, why I started is I always had an innate desire to understand why people act and react to certain situations. And when we were really sort of first starting out, I, I didn't know if there was a platform out there where I could get my questions answered. You have to sort of spin the clock back. This, that's now four years old. 
Uh, and at the time, there was no Instagram polls. There's no LinkedIn polls. And really, I just wanted a place where I could have my you, own questions wait, wait, answered. Wait, wait, wait. I've just got to butt in there, Dom. I've got to butt in there and ask you, how did you get to the point of university days and go, do you know what? There's not a platform out there that does what I want it to do. I mean, go back a bit further for us. How Even did you further, get to this yeah. point? Yeah. It was actually so a friend of mine was in my living room and she couldn't decide what to wear. So she had a few <laughs> different outfits. It's not a typical girl story, but we were, we were getting ready for <laughs> an event and it was quite a nice event. So I think she wanted to look her best. What I said to her was, I really like this outfit. You should wear it. And she just turned it right back at me and sort of got frustrated she said, I want to wear something else. I want the advice of other people. I don't effectively trust your opinion, Dom. So <laughs> in that moment, I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a platform where you could upload a photo of your, your outfit and then have that sent to whatever audience you want to get instant feedback. And it was it was also a case of at the same time being pushed into entrepreneurship. So I went down sort of the conventional path that everyone else does, you know, applying for grad schemes, talking about opportunities with friends and stuff. But I didn't really want to fit the mold. I kind of always had this want to break the status quo. Um, and, I love that. Yeah. So you, okay, well, when you say you don't want to go down the typical path, did you have another path mapped out for yourself or were you kind of... I did. Were you sort of choosing at the time? I felt like I had a, a natural path to go down. Yeah. I think I did have a natural path um, to follow and it was sort of stemmed from, I guess you could say, upbringing or exposure to like what my parents do. So my dad's a banker and okay. my mum is... In real estate, oh, I always so saw my mum. Neither of them are entrepreneurs. They're not. No, sort they're of not entrepreneurs. No. This. Right. Uh, they, okay. they, they, they do champion it, but I think it's because for them things changed. The emergence of the internet, the emergence in more recent years of this sort of startup culture. I think my parents, especially my dad, who was in banking, saw banking as something that it wasn't quite what it used to be. And he not thought going that off I would at three have... o'clock lunches and never coming back to work. Exactly. Kind of yeah. <laughs> it just it all seems so competitive to me, uh, and that goes back to you know people talking about what grad scheme they're getting onto, what salary they're, they're anticipating getting. I didn't really want to focus on those things. Instead, I wanted to focus on what would make me happy and what my sort of individual goals were. Um, oh, God, I wish I had that thinking at your age. I mean, honestly, I know I'm going to talk to you like you're really young because you're not that young. But <laughs> to be at the end of university and making these life choices, fantastic. So, okay, right. So you've, you've took the decision right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow this route of being an entrepreneur. You had your idea from your kind of like best friend moment of being like, is that a good outfit? Is it not a good outfit? And so how did you get onto this journey? Because I would imagine, as it did for myself and it does for all of my clients, that there's this big sort of feeling of knowledge gap. Like, okay, how do you do all these things? So how did you get started? Absolutely. I mean, the knowledge gap is something that I'm so confused about. Not only do people not know anything about business or entrepreneurship, but so many people come out of university knowing nothing about normal things in life, you know, tax, mortgages. I mean, that might come a bit later, but there's just a real lack of knowledge. And I think that is, is put on sort of the schooling. We're not really taught about these things in school. I did business at university and I still haven't applied much of my knowledge from that four-year degree <laughs> into what I do today. So there was a massive learning curve. Um, but I think the best way to sort of navigate that is to remember that these learnings are, are going to be sort of the foundations for you to achieve things uh, and they come gradually. So you shouldn't expect to know everything from the outset. And sometimes not knowing everything from the outset really helps you sort of prioritize and, and navigate the route. Company. Oh, I love that. Um, That's really good advice. What were the biggest things you had to overcome? I mean, did fear play a big part for you in the early days or, or, or was there something else? 
Yeah, I'd say I've always been very sort of pro-risk. I don't know if my parents want me to say this, but yeah, I, I I was always a bit of a gambler, not necessarily like a casino gambler, but just like a gambler about all sorts of situations. Like how could I get, or how could I reach my goals, putting in not the least amount of work, but the smartest amount of work. Like what risk could I take? What could I leave out to get to where I want to be? So I guess there's a bit of prioritization involved there, but being really honest, I did actually go to casinos quite a lot when I was at university and I actually ended up banning myself from Genting, which was like the, the chain in Edinburgh. So I just thought, yeah, it's not it's not smart. So I, I So you banned yourself because I'm imagining that wasn't a winning streak. Then? It wasn't. No, so I used to play blackjack and I lost a fair bit of money playing blackjack. I started off really well and then when things yeah, exactly, like any but then I think yeah, taking risks isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like gambling arguably is a bad thing, but taking risks is definitely not a bad thing. And like examples of that we've had over the years, we we looked at our budgets and we had so little money. Uh, it was one of the really bad parts in our journey, sort of like down to the last few thousand pounds. And it was myself and two colleagues in the business at the time. We said, how are we going to make this money stretch through our, our next three months? Because that's when we were sort of planning on raising next. So we each took a salary, I think around 500 pounds each a month. And we moved into a one bedroom apartment. And one person was lucky enough to have the bed. The other two slept on the floor on either side of the bed. Wow. And My goodness. It was a really trying time. We it like impacted our mental health, it impacted our like desired lifestyles massively. But we took the risk, we sacrificed a lot, and sure enough, two years later we're in a position um where everything's changed. So it's uh it's good to oh take risks sometimes. Oh, what a story. And I suppose, take us back, I think, before that moment, because you said that's when you were sort of getting, gearing up for your next round of investment. Go back a little further for us. So when you decided to start the business, did you bootstrap? Did you go for grants? Did you go for investment? How did you navigate that? Really good question. And there's so much to learn here. And there's so many things to take advantage of. When we first started out, I was lucky enough to run sort of like a side hustle at university. I was, I guess, a founder of an events company. And I'd saved up a fair bit of money to start this, that. But all that money basically went towards my co-founder, Max, and enough for me to get by again. It was a very sort of humble time. We, we didn't live extravagantly at all. So that was like the first seed capital, I guess. And after we developed our first MVP product, so the first interface, our first sort of attempt at coding a platform, we presented it to an investor. And okay. the investor was very young like me. He was actually um, the same age as me. And he just started out investing. So I, I would argue that he didn't have um, that much know-how. But I was 21 uh, or 22 probably he was the same age and he took a real big gamble on us he um, invested a hundred thousand pounds and as I said we had a really basic product so it wasn't like we had a polished idea or a polished product but he really saw potential I think in in the team myself and my co-founder Max Osborne and he believed in us and, and sure enough that saw us through the first year right and what did you can I ask what did you invest that money in to get you going and get you off the ground we well, primarily spent it on ourselves as co-founders, salaries, but also we hired a development team. We used an agency to help us develop the product and we still use that agency today. So it's a great way to scale using an agency because you're able to sort of bring in more people as and when you need them and, and get rid of people when when their jobs become less less sort of vital to operations. Oh, that's a really interesting way. I haven't heard that before in terms of using an agency. Is that like a, a staffing agency, for want of a better word, or is there more to it than that? It's more, I'd say, like a, a developer or a technical agency. So they, okay. they either have a, a group of people that 
you can select for certain projects, whether it be building an app or a website, or in our case, all three app, website, and web app. And then you can choose people that you want to sort of take on certain tasks. And then as you grow and as you scale, you might need to bring in more people or less people. And yeah, it's it's all just very flexible. Did you find find out about that all yourself or did your investor help you? Or how did you sort of find that route, if you like? To be honest, we, we were probably forced into it. So yeah, <laughs> most of the time, most of the time when you're looking to hire a tech team, it can be one of the most significant chunks of your your budget. Mm-hmm. Developers nowadays are extremely hard to come by, uh, and they are typically more expensive than than other stuff. Cool. What was useful for us is the fact that this agency uh, utilizes developers overseas, so in Eastern Europe or right. the Middle East. And you can really take advantage of sort of competitive pricing by doing that. Well, that's like that's a really great insight. And I suppose was that if you like the start of your snowball to sort of build to success? Or what would you say was your snowball effect as a founder? It's really interesting. So we have been running for four years now, but we've only been revenue uh, revenue generating for a year. So typical startup fashion, some of them are loss making forever, very few are profitable. As long as you get through to that point where you are revenue generating, I think that's that's the really sort of big milestone. Um, for us, I'd say that our first snowball effect was a year ago when we first started making revenue. We were looking to do a case study. Um, and I think what's really important here is uh, doing a case study is really useful. You learn whether or not your product works, whether or not your idea is of interest, whether or not you've hit that sort of product market fit stage. But really important, I think, to note is that you should always do this for a fee. It's very easy to do a case study and you'll get a lot of brands and agencies saying, listen, this is your first project. It's super risky for us. Would you mind doing it for free? And I think that that kind of trains you in all the wrong ways. It's really important to know what it feels like to get money in the bank and to send off invoices and, and to feel like you're product has some worth so for us i think the snowball effect was these early stage case studies we went from doing sort of 10k projects right now all the way through to sort of million pound deals so it's a really exciting transition just in the space of a year i mean thinking back i remember going completely nuts when we made our first i think 300 pounds and we thought like this is amazing like what are we going to spend 300 pounds on and perhaps (laughs) like that level of like excitement is even greater for the first three hundred pounds than it is for the hundred thousand pound deal a year later. So yeah, really celebrate okay. those. Was moments. your first million a bit more exciting? I imagine the it, first million. It, might yeah, be. arguably, yeah. It's just it's weird how you, your your body sort of, or your mind sort of reacts. Obviously, a million is a lot a lot more significant and something definitely you should celebrate more. But there's something about instinctive reaction to the first money in the bank that makes you go ballistic. It's like a very <laughs> strange sensation. I um, love that. That's brilliant. And I'm dying to know what you spent it on as well. Did you buy anything memorable I, or was it a good we, night out? <laughs> I think we actually, because we didn't have a polished product, we spent the money trying to make sure the project went ahead as planned. So we got the money in and then spent it on making sure the project worked out. But oh, no, we didn't celebrate that, too much. Although I think we did have our first ever sort of like Christmas party around that time but again and you know that is such a trait of successful founders that when they're earning that money right in those early days it just goes straight back into the product back into the business to make it work so that's a really great tip also tell us a little bit and I'm sure there's been millions of learnings as you've gone through this journey but can you tell us maybe your biggest learning that you've had or maybe two hard truths that you found when building up a startup biggest learning interesting question there's so much I've learned I mean even in the, the early days I was being asked to wear multiple different hats so whether it be Don we don't have an accountant do you mind looking at the accounts or we need to get this legal work done and suddenly I became a lawyer overnight it's all it's all like a lot to learn so I think you need to be dynamic and you need to be able to 
to take on different tasks and and definitely in doing that you you learn a lot another sort of hard truth i've learned is i think this one goes back to sort of like relationship within the team and, and within in my case my co-founder and i we're, we're two very different people but we sort of see ourselves as a yin, yin and yang he has some really amazing skill sets i have different ones and, and on paper we don't seem like we we blend but because we appreciate each other's work and because we value each other's individual skill sets i think that helps us sort of foster like a really nice relationship and a really good sort of business dynamic so just the hard truth there is i'd say be okay with arguing with your team and arguing with your co-founder but never go to bed in an argument it's typical sort of boyfriend girlfriend <laughs> discussions definitely but solid advice as well really good to keep those relationships strong and it's not necessarily an argument it could just be a rather passionate discussion exactly yeah that's how we frame them how many rounds of investment have you been through now technically we've done three although we are still pre i would say we're still pre-seed it's an interesting sort of situation you you normally anticipate people going pre-seed seed series a series b so on but for us we've been a bit unconventional we did one investment very early on then we did a another round with a company called apx or a vc called apx and at the time they were sort of branding themselves as an accelerator program so that was really really helpful for us we we got put into an office environment with i think 20 other startups and we learned from some amazing mentors and we had that guidance as well as the investment so i guess you'd call that smart money so not just an investment but also lots of um lots of additional bonuses and then subsequently to apx we we got investment from i believe a pool of maybe four other angel investors which brings our total investment to date to around five hundred thousand pounds over three sort of installments i'd call them amazing and in terms of when you've gone through those investment rounds which I imagine that you're not the only person going up for investment. There's going to be competition there. Was there anything that you felt you came up against, even some sort of unconscious bias that you had to sort of nip in the bud to be able to move you forward? My co-founder and I are both uh, white men, and this industry is dominated quite heavily by white men. So I, I think it'd be unfair to say that we we were exposed to any unconscious bias. That being said, on the age front, we we definitely were young and we were lacking experience. So one thing I say is perhaps we are perceived to be lacking credibility in the early stages but I, I hope that's since changed did you do anything to overcome that did you sort of see that as a potential objection and have your pitch ready to to tackle that because like yeah. you say and that is that is the bias they're kind of you know somebody in the back of the head going well they're only just out of university and it is that that you have to overcome so I did wonder if that came up for you or if there yeah was something um there. absolutely I think as a priority of ours later down the line really when the business started turning towards trying to give a voice to people often left unheard we felt it was important to address diversity so as a team we wanted to make sure that within the team we had people that reflected the opinions and the views and the values of society as a whole so having just two or a team of of one demographic didn't make sense for us and that's why we're now we're really proud to sort of say that i think we're 50 50 male female we have a huge portion of our our staff from the lgbtq community and then we've also addressed uh ethnicity sort of around diversity of ethnicity so it's uh that's amazing it's worked out all the feels i'm loving that yeah and and to be honest (laughs) that's fantastic it really has a noticeable impact on how the business runs as well. So I would, I would definitely encourage people to to address diversity in the workplace. Love it. Absolutely love that. So tell us then, well, I think I just want to pick on one of those points where you say that it's actually helping the business and that you're seeing that that's a benefit. Could you give us an example of what one of those benefits would be? 
Okay, yeah, I have got one, but it's kind of convoluted. So we were looking to hire for a position of graphic designer, and we wanted two people to fill that position. So we had about 50 to 70 applicants for uh, the two positions. And a few weeks into the interviewing process, I spoke with a person called Nina, and I loved their work so much and their passion for, for graphic design that I hired um, them on the spot straight away. A few weeks later, I had another interview with a person called Jess. And Jess, like Nina, was amazing. And again, I said, the job's yours on the phone call. I added at the end of that, that Jess would be working with a person called Nina. And unbeknown to me, it turns out that Nina and Jess are actually a partner together. So what I learned from that was that some of the most amazing people share so much similarity with people that they also care about and it was just amazing that out of all these well 50 to 70 applicants i happened to choose two people that were in a relationship um, wow. and to get, uh, today they both work with us and, and they represent the lgbtq community they, they represent the non-binary community and simply having them in the team has made everyone sort of more aware of, of this group understanding of the mindsets and the opinions that are generated from that group and, and we do do a lot of work within that space so it's, it's been really helpful oh that's a lovely story as well and what, how unbelievable i know <laughs> it was i was i was really confused i said jess <laughs> you've got the job nina will be working with you and she said that's so weird that's my that's my girlfriend or my wow. partner amazing yeah it's it's just been a real roller coaster there's been so many amazing things that have happened to us and yeah that, that's okay. just one classic story fantastic but was there a time when you felt oh I think I left money on the table today or I really missed an opportunity and and what did you learn from that yeah really good question I mean effectively we had an investment offer on the table and we got feedback from the investor that he wasn't willing to go through with it because he didn't like the attitude of one of our, our former staff, but it was something that we learned to sort of work around. You had to be quite upfront about these things and say, right, someone didn't like the way we came across. We need to address this and, and sort of work to make a better situation going forward. As I said, that person since left left the company. But I think just in general, there's there's all sorts of opportunities. It could be investment, it could be sales, missing out on key hires are the first things that sort of come to mind. But again, we've been really lucky too. So we've had opportunities that have come out of nowhere. We've learned from the mistakes we've made. And and I think, yeah, even the company as a whole, we, we've completely pivoted in, in our history. So you could argue that we missed out on the opportunity to be uh, where we are now a few years ago. But in that time, we've learned so many things. And I think that's helped us get to where we are in hindsight. Tell me about an opportunity that came out of nowhere. I'm going to pick up on that one that you mentioned. Yeah. So we were looking for product market. So effectively, we built a product that we were really happy with. That was like the first half of the equation sorted. The second half is the market. And we didn't know who to sell the product to. So we reached out to all of our business contacts, brands, agencies, asking them, is there an appetite for what we have to offer? And after months and months, we had got nowhere, really. We found it really difficult to pitch to uh, large corporations because their market research was typically being done by uh, the Goliaths in the industry, the Nielsens and the Kantars. We tried working with startups and we, we realized there wasn't enough money in that space. And then I had my sister and her best friend worked for a company called Whaler. So I just thought, why not just you know ask her if, if Whaler would be interested? And sure enough, we spoke with Whaler and they fell in love with the product. And that really sort of got us into the influence marketing space oh. and, and I guess the marketing space thereafter. But Whaler have been amazing. We, we've had two of their staff become advisors at this, that. We've worked with them on projects. And I guess 
you could argue that if I didn't have my sister and, and she wasn't best friends with this person, we wouldn't have a market to go after. Well, um, I think that is just the old adage of, you know, you will find those opportunities are closer than you think. And it is really about utilizing your network and where there is opportunity of somebody who knows you versus going to someone completely cold. Of course, that's going to be a better in. And I think that's brilliant that you took the initiative to just see what opportunities were closer to home. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's actually something I'd advise people do. It's very daunting to go out into the world of LinkedIn and the world of sort of email marketing and hope hope to land someone that's a decision maker at one of these giant corporations. You're far more likely to get a response from someone that has a vested interest in seeing you succeed. Yes, love that. Fantastic tips and probably one of the snippets of geniuses of this show. Let's dig deep now into maybe one of the big decisions you've made or a ballsy move I mean you say you're a risk taker and a bit of a gambler I could only imagine what you're going to tell me now (laughs) so what's the ballsiest thing you think you've ever done in business I mentioned earlier that we got accepted onto this accelerator program called APX but just before we got onto APX that original hundred thousand pounds was was dwindling and at the time my co-founder had a really good job offer to work at a tech agency and Ooh, that's always a challenging moment where it's like, oh, yeah. steady income. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and to be fair, his salary was huge compared to the, the peanuts that we were on before that. So I had to convince him to take the plunge and actually move overseas. So we were, we were all based in London at the time. Uh, and this accelerator program was based in Berlin. Um, oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Yeah, wow. Um, I'm actually in Berlin at the moment. So I, oh. I've been here for ever since that, ever since that accelerator. I've been in, based in Berlin. But it was a real tough challenge. Like he, we all had friends in London. We all had flats in London. Max had this amazing job offer, and I really became very vulnerable. I, I said, like, this means so much to me. I would really want you guys to sort of take the plunge and, and join me in Berlin. But understandably, it's a big sort of life decision. But I think, had I not been so vulnerable, had I not been so passionate and almost verging on like aggressively trying to get them to come with me I think the business would have ended there and then so I would have loved to be a fly on a wall for that conversation because that must have been the most compelling conversation you've ever delivered because to convince someone to walk away from a well-paid job in a country they know family friends and leave it all yeah. and to head off to Berlin I mean wow yeah I guess persuasion's good there but I, I did really see value in the company. I mean, at the time it was it was really like finger in the air stuff. Like we didn't know what the future would look like, but I tried oh. to present this this image of you're be your own boss, you'll have an amazing team behind you, you'll work on some amazing projects. And that would have yeah. been that was sort of like the pipe dream, but sure enough it's it's turned into reality. It's a real it's a reality. I think that's the power of belief. And that is you just absolutely in your gut knowing this can go all the way. You've got all the magic ingredients. The team are absolutely essential in that. And for you to be able to talk them through, you know, what you had in your mind's eye and take them with you. Oh, I think huge, huge round of applause for you for that. I think that's just amazing. And one of the best stories I've heard in a while. So thanks so much for sharing. So tell me, what's one thing you're excited about right now? like that next level is just on the horizon. I'm really excited about that. What's the best part about your job? Working with people that share the same passion as me, not not general passions, but that, that passion to understand what makes people tick. And biggest lesson in running your own business? Uh, for sure, keep morale high. Lovely one. And what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? So I'm a big follower of campaign, 
uh, the drum talking influence ad week one piece of leadership advice that you wish you'd known earlier or is so awful you need to warn us i think respect people's opinions and what is the hard lesson that you've learned in business it's recognizing that you're not going to be best at everything so stick to your strengths and let other people excel in what they're good at Oh, that's a great one. I totally advocate that as well. And what is the one music track that lights you up and makes you feel you can take on the day? I listen to drum and bass. So anything okay. anything drum and bass usually gets me really excited, but it also helps me relax, weirdly. And then if it was to be one track, especially if I'm feeling like a bit low, it's Oasis, things like Live Forever. Based to Indie Joy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very nice. Okay, thank you so much for coming on the show and being such a fabulous guest. Thank you, Karen. It's been a real pleasure. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents. I hope that's given you a burst of inspiration and motivation to find your way to build a business that you love. Do check out every episode's show notes for links to the fabulous companies these founders are building. And if you have a question you'd like to ask, you are invited to come and join all of us from this series over on LinkedIn on the Snippets of Genius community. And if you haven't already, go into your podcast player and leave a review. Every time someone leaves a comment or a starred review, it helps us to reach the ears of more listeners, more aspiring founders, and helps more people to build a business they love. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, have a wonderful week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.